This is Cinema Roundtable. My name is Stefan, and I'm here with my usual Bo. Hey, hey, hey. And our new usual Erica. Hi. And we want to introduce you to our new friend, Jared. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, see all of you in the flesh. That's right. So uh, if you listened to our last episode, you know that uh, Cinema Roundtable came back from a very, very long hiatus thanks to COVID-19. And uh, we are still monitoring that situation as uh, the the current date of recording. Um, things are starting to look pretty dire again. We're back in levels where we were in February, and I believe theaters were closed in February. So who knows what's going to happen, but we'll keep an eye on that and keep you updated on our social media. Uh, but anyways, we are introducing you to a lot of new hosts. Uh, we are shifting uh, toward a bigger pool of hosts that will be able to rotate from episode to episode. Uh, and so we're happy to be introducing you to Erica and Jared. And we'll have two new hosts next time and a little bit more on that at the end of the episode. But today we are here uh, with a new feature film. We're going to talk about M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old. At first, a spoiler-free discussion, and then we'll get into spoilers at the end of the episode. But before we get to old, we want to talk about some of the other movies that we have all seen recently. Uh, I'm going to throw it to Erica, and this is a movie that uh, both Erica and Jared have both seen. So, Erica, I'm going to let you lead the way. Let us hear about the new Suicide Squad. Okay, well, I will say up front, this is a much better film than the original Suicide Squad that came out, what was that, 2017? 2016, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have a deep hatred for that film. It was so painful. As long as you specify the and sa, then it's all all good and all clear. Um, I would say this uh, this new the Suicide Squad is even better than Birds of Prey, if you're really into the Harley Quinn character, and she seems to be a big attractor for a lot of people. Um, also, what surprised me, it has some really outstanding over-the-top gore, which I am not used to seeing in superhero movies, mm. with the exception of, I don't know, Deadpool, perhaps. Um, so it's definitely not a kid-friendly superhero film. Um, but it's so gleeful in the violence. I know. I, I really did enjoy the gore, but um, that's just my sickness. Um, one issue I have with the film is there are some plot elements that seem very pilled. Like, mm. oh, maybe our government's covering up some cruel experiments on children. Like, I thought at, at multiple points in the film, I thought characters were just going to start screaming, hashtag save the children. Um, but on the other hand, there were some really overtly anti-fascist themes. So it's like the writers were trying to just make everyone happy. <laughs> um, but you know, maybe maybe it's better not to to really read too deeply into this movie. Just go and have fun with it. How, uh, how familiar are you with uh, James Gunn's filmography and knowing his background comes from horror? Uh, I do enjoy some of his earlier horror films. Yep, yep. And I think that's kind of uh, what I went in kind of expecting with The Suicide Squad, knowing that he had the liberty with like an R rating to just kind of, you know, go, go whole hog with it. Mm-hmm. I knew he would bring that, and I really did enjoy that, as well as like his humor that, you know, he just peppers in throughout. But uh, I also thought, you know, he's such an assured filmmaker and he can maybe have what some might call like some indulgences. Mm-hmm. You know, I particularly think of like this uh, this bar club scene where maybe a less confident director may not, you know, have a lot of faith in it and studios could easily make them like cut it out. But it's in that movie and it's just spending time with these characters and you just grow to love them. And James Gunn is so good with characters amongst all all these other things that it just uh, it really kind of like makes you appreciate them all the more and just kind of deepens it uh, too. So yeah, I I definitely I definitely liked it. And your point as far as like the government conspiracy, it's interesting, especially in relation to you know not to give anything away. A movie we'll be talking about later and things like that, where you know maybe I might have more issues there. But in this case, it it just it's so I don't know. It's so boisterous and so fun that, you know, the things that didn't work were easily overshadowed by Mm -hmm. everything that did for me. Absolutely. I agree with that, too. Okay, so um, for someone who didn't see the first Suicide Squad or even Birds of Prey, 
Are those prerequisites to seeing this new Suicide Squad? Not at all. Okay. Thank goodness, because I do not wish (laughs) the first Suicide Squad on anyone. Yeah. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is definitely the highlight out of that. And again, with like Birds of Prey, I mean, you know, she's half the title, uh, half the reason for that movie as well. But yeah, the Suicide Squad does a good job kind of standing alone on its own merits and can bring in new viewers. Okay, cool. I was, yeah, I was looking at the trailers and I was noticing like almost zero familiar faces. So <laughs> it seemed like it, it was like maybe even retconning the first one, but I was, you know, I didn't look too much into it because I also did not enjoy the first one very yeah. much. <laughs> uh, I have a question. I saw the trailer too. I haven't seen the full film. Um, one thing that really grabbed my attention just watching the trailer is how many characters they have, how many mm-hmm. people yeah. are in this Suicide Squad compared to the first movie. Because I remember the first movie having, I don't know if it was like around seven or so, folks, this seems like it's a dozen or more. And it's really obscure characters like, you know, you've got Polka Dot Man, <laughs> you've got uh, The Thinker, Captain Boomerang, King Shark, you know, I could go on and on. Um, what What is the dynamic like with all these people? And are there so many that you kind of lose track of them? Because it seems like there are a lot of characters in this movie. No, I, I, I don't know for you, Erica. James Gunn's pretty smart as far as like mm-hmm. setting up characters and establishing relationships and where they are in the plot that you don't lose track. And they're all such unique characters. I mean, yeah, you mentioned like Polka Dot Man, Captain Boomerang. King Shark, who I believe his name in the movie is like Nanaway or something. Something like that, to. yeah. But again, you know, James Gunn's a guy who made audiences love in Guardians of the Galaxy, a monosyllabic tree that mm-hmm. came to life. So the fact that he could get everybody on board with King Shark and love it so much equally, it, it just goes to show how deft he is with characters and keeping them in place, keeping them their own individuals and really just having fun with them. I look forward to seeing this. Yeah, it, it also helps that he writes out a bunch of characters fairly early, and then they've whittled down the pool of main characters, so you don't have to worry about, oh, there's 20 characters I have to keep track of. It's like That's half, half the of fun. them. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> yep. Cool. I'm looking forward to it that It earns its title. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. That is The Suicide Squad, right? That's the full title, The mm-hmm. Suicide Squad? Yes. Okay. That's the, that's the indicator, and I think that's what tripped up a lot of audiences, apparently in market research coming out of its opening weekend, people couldn't differentiate between Suicide Squad and The Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. To be fair, it's not super obvious. Not great. So, yeah. yeah. But okay, well, we'll leave that there and I'm going to throw it to Jared. I want to hear about Promising Young Woman. Yeah, so last week I had a business trip and one of the things I always look forward to on my travel days is being on a flight where I might have the opportunity to catch up with a movie that I may have missed. Maybe it's just, you know, out of theaters, but it's not on a streaming platform I have. And I caught up with two, uh, both Minari and Promising Young Woman. But yeah, I'll focus on Promising Young Woman because man, oh man, did that movie just floor me. The writer-director, her name is Emerald Fennell. I apologize if I butchered the last name. This is her feature-length debut. And talk about just, you know, coming out swinging and knocking it out of the park, at least for me. So assured and so confident. I will oftentimes, around award season, listen to a lot of podcasts where they have roundtables with a lot of the usual suspects. You know, you had like Fincher and Sorkin this last year. She was in the mix. And so having not seen this movie but listening to her, I started to appreciate her. She has this great kind of self-deprecation humor about herself, talking about, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here with the rest of you. I don't really know. Yeah. I I would love to just, you know, kind of call her out on that because watching this movie, she knows what she's doing. She has such a strong sense of, like, style how she frames it, and even like the themes running throughout. There are just like great little throwaway references uh, with what she's doing there. Like at one point, the main character, her name's Cassandra, and she lives with her parents. Uh, she catches her parents watching the old Mitchum classic, Night of the Hunter, which, you know, it's just this kind of like nice little visual reference when you learn more about what the movie is. And essentially, it's about Carrie Mulligan's character who something very traumatic has happened in the past that she is trying to reckon and deal with uh, in relation to people she once knew and how it affected herself. I don't really want to give too much away, but it's a very, you know, it's it's definitely a topic that is at the forefront of today uh, in dealing with uh, women and their rights and kind of a little bit of like the Me Too movement. So it's uh, it's very topical and yeah, it kind of goes at it really hard with a super sharp edge 
And I just, yeah, I was just kind of laid out by it. And it's got this incredible supporting cast. So many people and faces you just recognize, but also playing roles that you just wouldn't think of them. Her parents in this movie are played by Jennifer Coolidge and Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown, most of us probably associate with like a psychopath, like Mm. the guy from the Shawshank Redemption who like scares, you know, can scare like the strongest man into like a puddle of mess. And then Jennifer Coolidge, you think of like in all of these, you know, great comedies from Christopher Guest and things like that. But here are these two beleaguered parents who just like want to figure out their daughter and things like that. So when they pop up, it's great. You get other actors and actresses like Connie Britton's in a scene. Christopher Mintz Plus, uh, that's McLovin. For those who may not know, he shows up in a scene. You have Adam Brody. You have Alfred Molina. It's a stacked cast. It's as I think the director herself said, it's an embarrassment of riches. They all bring their A game to this phenomenal debut. And yeah, Emerald herself, she just shot up the list as far as like directors to watch and very, very excited to see what she does next. So I've uh, I've heard a decent amount about this movie and um, I've, I've watched like a lot of clips. I haven't, you know, seen the whole movie. I, I want to. I always have. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed in in the clips that I have watched is uh, is a really incredible use of of color mm. and and like contrasting you know different uses of color for different situations. It seems like, um, and and so I'm wondering if there are any other like I guess visual representations of anything that you really enjoy enjoyed, or if there's anything else that sort of like signifies like these different. Um, situations, uh, whether through writing or sound design or anything like that. Uh, Yeah, if you kind of keep an eye out, again, uh, her framing and composition is really, really evident here. There are times when the main character will be framed against something, like a a frame behind her, and it kind of almost makes her look like either angelic or some sort of like an angel and things like that. And there's a lot of readings you can have as far as like what her mission is and what is she out to do to those in her past and things like that. So, yeah, that and the pops of color are just great. Um, Emerald, she she talks about how she really, you know, loves kind of like pop culture and things like that. So to kind of have like, yeah, these, these bright colors and like this kind of great pop music kind of playing throughout, whether uh, orchestral or anything like that. It just it just adds a lot to it that you just wouldn't expect, especially considering what the topic is at hand. Cool. The movie sets up really great confrontations. Mm. There's yeah. some of my favorite scenes from that movie are times where uh, Carrie Mulligan's character is confronting someone. She's set up this whole plan ahead of time. She's always three steps ahead of the other yeah. person. My favorite scene, I think, involves I think it's a dean where she confronts a dean. Yep, Connie Britton. I've I've thought back to that scene so much since seeing this movie. Um, yeah, worth watching. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd almost say she's she's diabolical mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, yeah, you actually have a lot of fun with her mm-hmm. doing it too. Yeah. Awesome. So premiere movie from uh, Emerald Fennel that is Promising Young Woman. Uh, I'm going to uh, throw it to Bo here, uh, and we're going to hear about one of the contenders for a feature film, and that is The Green Knight. Yes, Green Knight is the newest film from David Lowry, who I started following a few years ago after I saw his film A Ghost Story, which was a really crazy meditation on life and human existence and really made me think about my own mortality. Um, It's only a 90-minute film, and yet it really transported me when I saw it. And so I was really excited to see The Green Knight um, this is an Arthurian legend movie. Uh, it stars Dev Patel as uh, Gawain, who goes on a uh, quest to find the Green Knight after this Green Knight character shows up at uh, King Arthur's court and asks if somebody wants to play his game. And so um, it's his game is a test of courage, and Gawain um, kind of wanting to prove himself because he's never really lived up to um, what he wants to be decides to take part in the game. And uh, so basically this is a fantasy adventure film where uh, we're following Dev Patel going around, uh, seeing all kinds of crazy things out in this fantastical world. 
And I would liken this film, uh, of all things, to Alice in Wonderland, (laughs) if you can believe it. Um, Alice in Wonderland is kind of a story where Alice falls asleep and just kind of sees a bunch of strange stuff. She she sees strange thing after strange thing and strange thing, and then wakes up and... Um, really it's more about the experience of going on this adventure and kind of being in this hypnotizing place. That's really what the green Knight is, is it is spectacle. It's a lot of, um, beautiful visuals, images in my mind that, that I'll have there for a long time after seeing this movie. Um, a lot of it really doesn't make sense. (laughs) A lot of it is Dev Patel experiencing a strange character out in the countryside um, sometimes his interactions are very straightforward and other times, um, things are kind of open to interpretation. So everybody seeing this movie might take away something different, which is kind of nice. Um, then other things are just so strange and odd and hypnotic that, um, you just kind of have to appreciate them for how weird they are. Um, so the green Knight, I would say is overall pretty light on plot. Um, but it is a fantasy adventure that, um, has, those visuals that will stick with you and um, really, really uh, gets you immersed in, in its world. So I really liked the green Knight. It's one of my favorite movies of 2021. And I think it's proof that good films don't always have to have a strong story. They can, they can be strong in so many other ways and draw you in. Okay. Yes. Historically we do uh, love a 24 here at cinema round table. And so I, you know, given that I do intend to see this eventually. Uh, there's something that I'm noticing here, and and I don't always like to bring this up as a discussion point, but compared to all of our other films that we're going to talk about tonight, there is a huge disparity in, like, audience ratings versus critic ratings. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you have any insight onto what might cause uh, a critic to love this so much more than your your average Joe. I think I have a hunch. I've thought about this since seeing the movie. And I actually saw this with a friend and we talked about it um, at length afterwards outside the theater, which was a great experience. Like if you see this with somebody, talk about it with them. It's it's because it's a hard film to talk about, you know, and and trying to get at the core of what you take away from it is really fun. And you don't get to do that with lots of movies. But I think what it is, is lots of people see the talent attached to this. They see Dev Patel. They see that it's this fantasy adventure film. And they, they, they think that it has the usual trappings of an adventure, uh, you know, kind of summer movie. They think it's going to be action-packed. And really, mm. this film is kind of slow and not very action-packed. And it's more about the experience of being inside of it and kind of just losing yourself to it and forgetting that you're sitting in a theater. Um, I would recommend seeing it in a theater, by the way, by the way because I think seeing it at, at home, you'd have uh, possibly a greater chance of being distracted um, I think seeing this in the theater helped me. Um, I might not have enjoyed it as much seeing it at home. So I think a lot of people expected perhaps, oh, this is going to be an action-packed, you know, swashbuckling fantasy adventure. And um, it really uh, doesn't follow those tropes. It's it's kind of its own thing. Stefan, let me ask you this. What is the divide between critics and audience on The Green Knight? Okay, so... On Rotten Tomatoes, on this recording date of August the 13th, 2021, uh, the tomato meter has critics at 88% and the audience score is at 50. Okay. I mean, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a pure Arthurian guy and my <laughs> Arthur is my Arthur, are we like headed into another like Last Jedi like situation here? <laughs> is, that what, is that what I'm hearing? Well, if you're a fan of Arthur himself, uh, Sean Harris, I believe is the actor's name. Yeah, Sean Harris. He plays... Uh, the, he's just called the king in the cast list. So mm. he's he's King Arthur. Um, he has a really great, you know, kind of opening part where where he has some great monologue stuff. He's interacting with Dev Patel. But then the only character you're really getting that most people will be familiar with from Arthurian legends is Gawain. And a lot of people don't really know, have a, a reference point for that character, I would say. Um, I didn't going into this. Um, so really it's more about, you know, you start in King Arthur's court it's it's much more um, kind of low energy compared to some of the the higher paced uh, fantasy films. Um, but then you kind of just go along with this character and see how he challenges himself and how um, he he tests his 
boldness and his bravery. So if that sounds um, interesting to you, you might want to check out The Green Knight. Excellent. Interesting. All right. I'm going to throw it back to Jared because I hope we have time for this really cool story, but uh, but we might not. So I'm going to throw it back to Jared for Minari. Let's hear about Minari. Yeah. So this is a, a film, again, coming out of the award season here a few months ago that everybody's talking about like you know I think some of the poll quotes are like this is the movie we need right now and what a pleasant surprise and it was it was really good I thoroughly enjoyed it and as somebody who grew up in the 80s because this movie takes place in the 80s I wouldn't say I have any sort of remarkable story for myself but to watch this story and through the lens that it puts it through which is a first generation Korean family and them coming and striving for their own American dream, I really did. I really did take a lot away from that, and just the perspective, and kind of seeing it through their eyes. So that in itself was a great takeaway for me. And Stephen Yoon as the father figure, the patriarch, it's just great to see like him doing so much more. And you know, this along with Burning, you know, he's he's moving past you know the great show that he was on, The Walking Dead, where everybody kind of got to know him. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's great to kind of see him, you know, showing his chops in so many other ways. And yeah, the, the grandmother, she's great. You know, she walked away with best supporting actress and everything. And you watch this movie and the interplay with her and her grandchildren in the film, it's all evident as to why. So a lot of great themes throughout it, you know, East versus West, old traditions versus new traditions, and really what it takes for like kind of a, a family to kind of come together when it seems like they're all pulling away from each other is, you know, I'm always going to be a sucker for that. So overall, really good movie. Really, really strong from, I believe it's Lee Isaac Chung is the uh, director there. So, Okay. Uh, Jared, can I, can I ask if you've seen one of our previous feature films? Have you seen The Farewell? Uh, no. Okay. All right. Oh, wait, wait. Yes, yes. With Aquafina. Yes. I'm sorry. I thoroughly enjoyed that film. I wish that would have jumped to my mind a lot sooner. But yes, <laughs> I have seen The Farewell. Okay, so it doesn't sound like it's a, a direct comparison, but I'm gonna I'm gonna see like, you know, you're talking about you know East versus West, new mm-hmm. tradition, old tradition. How wh- can you compare and contrast some of those themes between this and um, The Farewell? Yeah, so maybe with my own experience with Minari, I might have a little bit more nostalgia for it. Just like I said, I'm a kid of the '80s, so him. Lee Isaac Chung kind of uh, using Minari as telling his story of being, you know, this kid growing up in the 80s. I can relate to that. If I was going to go back and watch one again, though, even though I had a total mind blank when you first mentioned it, I would probably watch The Farewell again. Just because I think Aquafina, she's got just so much charisma. I really enjoy watching her kind of wherever she pops up. And again, kind of a a matriarchal uh, figure. You have the grandmother... Uh, in Minari and the grandmother there in The Farewell. They both bring so much, but the the true story behind The Farewell just kind of pulls me in more and just kind of like seeing seeing all those traditions uh, because, you know, you, we, we go over there. We go overseas, you know. We, go, we start in New York and we travel over with Aquafina as she goes to visit her uh, grandmother. That I kind of like take in a lot more. You know, yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, so Minari, I think it's down there in Arkansas. Yeah, it's it's great again the nostalgia piece, but I kind of like the exoticness of uh, the farewell and just kind of the unfamiliarity of it all. Excellent. All right, and I'm looking at our current recording time, and I think we'll be okay. Erica, you uh, had a unique experience that is film related. Uh, you visited something called Joe Bob's Drive-In Jamboree. Uh, yes, so I did. <laughs> expound on on this Very cool experience. Uh, so um, uh, this was an event featuring uh, horror host Joe Bob Briggs, who wrote, uh, wrote the the last drive. Or he's on the last drive-in on Shutter. He wrote a column back in the '80s called "Joe Bob Goes to the Drive-In." Had also done horror hosting for AMC and TNT back in the day. And I just love the hell out of Joe Bob. He is so smart. He's funny. Um, also just a super nice guy in person. This is the second time I've met him. Um, so I, I met some friends from another podcast I'm on. We uh, went to this historic drive-in theater called the Mahoning, which is out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. 
and uh, in the Appalachian Mountains. It felt very like isolated and backwoods and a little bit creepy, but kind of fit the movie uh, setting too. Um, on the downside, this um, this event was challenging because of organizational problems, like kind of the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing for part of the day, and we were supposed to get autographs or professional photo ops. Also, um, my friend uh, recently had back surgery, so she had to be in a wheelchair most of the time, and this place has no pavement. It was not handicap accessible by any means. Like, it had been raining, so there were alternating between flash floods and just scorching hot weather. So we're trying to help her get around in her wheelchair, and then there's just, like, mud and gravel everywhere. So um, that made it challenging. But when we got to the live event itself, which was recorded for Shudder, and I think it will broadcast on uh, Halloween, that was just magical. Like, the energy between uh, Joe Bob and Darcy the male girl and the live audience there was just fantastic. I just loved the hell out of that. It made the the suffering of the day worth it and the near heat stroke we all had. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, but there's word they or rumors they may try to make this an annual thing, which I hope they do, and that will give them a chance to work out some of the organizational kinks that they had. Okay, so say it is an annual thing. Is this something you're going to go back to? Uh, definitely, yes, especially if I can uh, see my friends again. So we, we all bonded during uh, COVID. We record a podcast via Skype, and we had seen each other on Skype video, but had never met in person. So uh, this was definitely a fun get together for like seven of us okay so if if i may like get into a little bit of the personal like if you have never met any of these people in person how did you find each other in the first place i was um introduced by a mutual friend okay and he said oh you love horror films i think you'd be great on this podcast so um that was just lucky and it did help me get through um, quarantine mm-hmm. or you know, lockdown time when I couldn't go out and do things. So Thursday nights kind of became the highlight of my week. Mm. Well, that's excellent. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it is that time in our podcast where we move into our feature film. And this feature film, again, is M. Night Shyamalan's newest movie called Old Old is a film about a family that is on a tropical vacation that they happened upon, uh, and they are at this resort, and the resort manager uh, takes a liking to them and recommends this private beach and sends them uh, to the private beach for a day. And, and it's very special. This yes. is never offered to anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. Until, Only because I like you. Yeah. <laughs> As no one until the other family shows up, and then another family just a couple hours later show up. Uh, and while they are there on the beach, uh, they find a dead body. Uh, and uh, as time goes on, you realize that... Uh, the nature of this beach is not quite as it seems, and time moves differently. And so that is where we begin. And so I'm going to throw it to Bo. Bo, I want to hear uh, your general thoughts on old, spoiler-free, spoiler and then free. we will move into spoilers. Well, uh, this movie, <laughs> I, I, I can already kind of sense that this movie is going to get slammed on this podcast. Eric is giggling in the corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we had some uh, kind of vague messages th- these past few weeks. Um, but I'll just, I'll just say I did not absolutely hate this movie. What a um, ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> I did not absolutely hate this movie. There is a ton that I don't like about this movie. There's a lot that's really unsatisfying about this movie. There's a lot that I think this movie does too much of or too little of. Um, but I'll start with what I liked. Um, when thinking about where this movie is arriving in my life, I actually likened it to my experience this past year living you know, through the pandemic and working from home, I'm actually still working from home a majority of the time. Ever since March, 2020, I've been working from home. And so I've really felt my own mortality, just like with the ghost story. Um, I've felt my own mortality and I've felt that passage of time. So in a way, I kind of like uh, got into the groove with this movie and I kind of felt like, oh, this seems like kind of a timely subject matter. I'm not sure if it was written um, in accordance with what's going on in the world or if it was just a happy accident. But I noticed that. Um, the, I, I think there's some creative ways in which this, the filmmaking happens in this movie, the way faces are framed, 
Um, sometimes we get really extreme close close ups, and um, sometimes faces are pushed to the extreme edges of the frame. There are certain shots in this movie that uh, captivated me because they were so surprising and made me look at characters in a different way. So I appreciated that. I'll um, second you on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, when it comes to uh, all the aging stuff, you know, you mentioned there's a there's a death discovered on the beach. I don't think it's a secret that there are deaths in this movie. It's kind of seen hinted at in the trailer. Um, and there are some very creative deaths in this movie I haven't seen before. Um, they might not all be set up properly, but there's some body horror going on in this movie that uh, does some inventive stuff. And I will say I was never bored. There were always developments that were taking place. And even though I was consistently kind of disappointed by certain choices made, I was never bored. I was always kind of looking forward to what was going, what the movie was going to show me next. And I kind of, I can't quite put my my finger on it, but I always kept thinking like, is this movie going to redeem itself? Is it going to redeem itself? And I think that's what kept me watching it and watching it and being absorbed with it. Would it keep you coming back to it, having seen the full movie? And that's where I can get into my dislikes. Okay. My answer to that would be no, mm-hmm. uh, because characters, uh, there's, there's a lot of problems with characters in this movie. I think the characters have inconsistent levels of intelligence there's certain things that they deduce with little effort and very overt things that they don't understand at a very basic level. That was frustrating. Um, characters kind of feel like prototypes. They're given very basic descriptors. Um, we know them on a very surface level, and then we don't really get to know deeper levels of them that I would have hoped in a movie like this. The, the reason people age and can't leave this beach is poorly explained, in my opinion, which we can get into in spoilers mm-hmm. if we want to go in depth on that. Mm. Um, there's a twist to this movie, like a lot of Shyamalan films, and the twist is overly explained in a very lame way. <laughs> the end feels so clumsy. There's this cliffhanger moment that that's, seems like it's being kind of brave with how cliffhanger-y it is. And then the movie comes back and decides it doesn't want to have a cliffhanger moment. So mm-hmm. that that's frustrating. The whole ending of this movie lasts five to... I don't know, 15 minutes, very disappointing to me. And then there's just a lot of telling the audience something is happening without showing the audience something is happening. And that can be effective from time to time, but it's just frustrating when a character sees something and we could easily see a shot of it that would be really powerful, um, but instead they just tell us it's happening and then we just kind of have to trust that it's going on. So I thought it was a very clumsy movie. I thought that there were some very poor choices made, especially with the characters it kind of held my attention, though, so I have to give it credit there. And uh, it's kind of doing things that a lot of other thrillers aren't doing, um, at, at least with its premise. Okay. So that's what I thought. Uh, no offense to Jared. I'm going to save our new guy for last, just to, just to throw you in there at the end. Erica, you've got a lot of notes, so let's, let's hear it. Yes, I do. Well, um, first of all, I want to say it is a delight to be here today and discuss this film with you all. Um, I want to point out that Old is not only an adaptation of a a 2011 graphic novel called Sandcastle. It also owes an intellectual debt to No Exit, Waiting for Godot, and Gilligan's Island. Um, Like, seriously, we have a group of characters who would never affiliate with each other in real life. And they're, they're trapped together, and then drama erupts. Um, and... These characters are definitely types rather than fleshed out characters because we have this kid going around asking for their names and occupations. So it's like, oh, there's a doctor, there's a nurse, there's a you know wannabe model, there's you know like uh, yeah. you know someone who works at a, a museum. So it's like, yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh, so they're already kind of typecast by their profession, which I really did think gave it a definite Gilligan's Island vibe. Um, and I, I really think this is what would happen if Gilligan's Island were written by an existentialist and if the skipper had schizophrenia and Marianne had a bad cal- uh, calcium deficiency. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's an astute observation. I love that. I love that. Um, as far as things I liked about the movie, I, um, I agree with Bo that there are some really interesting shots. Like there's a lot of open space and negative space and there there's just interesting things with that that make the characters feel very isolated also the fact that most of the film happens out in broad daylight so um 
definitely different from most horror and suspense films. But nonetheless, because things are out of focus on purpose or you only see a part of a character's face, it leaves things mysterious. So then there are some um, pretty interesting reveals when you see uh, the effects of aging on these different characters. As far as negative things that are spoiler free, ah, gosh dang, this is like the clunkiest exposition I've seen in a she long time. She just turned a page in her notes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and it printed upside down. Okay. Uh, but yeah, some seriously clunky exposition. Like, um, you know, there, there just should have been more time taken to actually develop these characters, you know, than for instance, just introducing them by their occupations and introducing some of the scientific concepts in ways that are just like, not plausible that the characters could figure some of this stuff out, um, you know, w- without having any kind of uh, knowledge of this place and how it works. And, you know, for what they did figure out, there there were probably some ways they could have gone off the island. Which I won't get into that until we get to spoilers, but that was just a little frustrating to me that there were, like, maybe some obvious things they could have tried that they didn't try. Okay. Um, yeah, I just, I want to reiterate for myself just a couple of things that both Erica and Bo mentioned. Uh, clunky exposition is the thing that stands out the most to me. Like, like Bo, I, I was waiting for it to redeem itself, waiting and waiting and waiting. And I thought it might, cause like I, I went in with like almost no expectations. Like I don't, I, I haven't watched a lot of Shyamalan movies. I've watched, you know, some of the big ones, uh, and I don't have like a, a strong opinion formed one way or the other. So I was like, I'll just go in and I'll, I'll watch it. it. It's an interesting concept. It could be good. And I, you know, the exposition thing was the first thing, like dialogue delivery was just like so mm-hmm. strange. If it was a song, it was offbeat. It, yeah. That's how I would describe the delivery of the dialogue. It is off kilter. It's very just awkward. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not delivered on the delivered, beat. Yeah. The tempo is just You're all totally over the right. place. Yeah. Like real people do not talk like this. Although I guess as a positive, I forgot to mention, I, there, there are some dynamics between the characters that do feel authentic, like the change from the little kids, you know, then quickly become the caretakers for their aging parents. And mm-hmm. like, I am a caretaker for my mom. It was a lot of health problems. And that dynamic felt very familiar to me and very real. Um, and also, I think that um, Shyamalan and, and also actor Alex Wolf did a really good job at capturing the hopeless romanticism of teenage boys. Like, I seriously wanted to punch <laughs> teenage Trent in the face. Like He knew what to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I that and then what Bo said, like, inconsistencies with, like, intelligence, that was the other thing that bugged me a lot. Because, like, you, you get that, like, Young Trent is this, you know, highly intelligent kid for his age, but for him to like age up to to like late teens, uh, but sometimes like know things that he shouldn't know, but then mm-hmm. also sometimes like still think like a child, like that, yeah, just inconsistencies, right. and mm-hmm. and maybe even worse with Maddox, like Maddox was just like suddenly incredibly intelligent, you know, as she was approaching adulthood, even though she's not actually like learning new things she may be thinking differently and they say explicitly that they're thinking differently which was another example of telling us things that could just as easily be shown um but you know and then she's just like she just suddenly knows these you know things that would not be in her like intelligence toolkit so um but yeah i guess like Bo, i guess i wasn't necessarily ever bored and it, I, I, it did keep my attention. I was always interested to see what was going to happen. Uh, they do some creative things with deaths. You're right. Um, but got everything was just like hitting a brick wall. It was just mm. like crashing into like the, the, um, seabed just because <laughs> of the dialogue. Like it was just like hit me in the face like waves and I just couldn't get over it. I don't know what you guys are talking about. When I argue with my wife, we always call out each other's professions and how that directly <laughs> relates to our perspectives on life. So that rang true for me. Yeah. <laughs> and any underlying. Yeah. You're um, an actuary. You're always concerned with the future. Well, you spend your life in a museum. You're concerned with the past. I. That's, that's almost verbatim, the dialogue in the movie. Yeah. So it hits the themes really hard oh, yeah. and it puts it in your face. Also, my name is Jaron 
and I'm a nurse. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> wow. I almost wish my name was Jaron and not Jared, just so I could take on his sensibilities to always announce myself and tell people what I do and why I know this is happening. So, uh, Jared, do you have further thoughts? It is it is your turn. I'm going right. to allow you to Let bring us in right before spoilers. So I spent way too long trying to come up with something clever, and it's not. The best I could come up with is calling this the Island of Dr. Minoj. And that only works <laughs> if you know that M. Knight's first name is actually Minoj. But anyways, uh, yeah, for me, this, this was a movie that suffered from an intriguing premise and a lot of ideas but not enough story to go with it. And this is coming from a filmmaker who I'm always going to I'm always going to root for M Night Shyamalan because his first three major movies, not his two independent films that came first, those first three major movies, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable and Signs, was like the announcement of a wholly formed craftsman that knew what he was doing and knew how to tell a story. And with each of those three films, I'd be curious to kind of know where he ranks, at least his filmography ranks with all of you. But for me, it's like, okay, The Sixth Sense. It's a what-if-a-ghost story, but it's actually a human drama. Unbreakable, what if a comic book movie, but super grounded in reality. Science, what if a home in, or what if an alien invasion movie, but actually about a family in crisis. Here with old, it's like, what if an island that ages people? And that's it. <laughs> so, and, and there's a lot to explore there. You know, there is. It's like, ooh, how would this affect, you know, kids? What would you have, what would happen if you had something internally going on and the, the, the rapidness that uh, would happen there? And so I get that you can have all these like kind of cool setups that, yeah, keep you kind of like paying attention, keeping you watching. But those three movies that I, of his that I mentioned, what keeps me coming back to him is the depth to all the characters. It's the story that's actually being told, you know, and yeah, like Bo, you mentioned, he does still show signs of like being able to like compose an intriguing shot, you know, that he's got this tracking shot that goes back and forth at the beginning where you're tracking with uh, the uh, the husband and the kids in the background. But the woman, the wife is in the foreground. It's really interesting. Sometimes, you know, he'll just like zoom past the action of a scene that really kind of makes you pay attention. He knows how to keep your attention. But this movie is just really lacking, like, having me buy into it. I want to buy into it, having the investment in these characters. Because as you all have, like, astutely pointed out, it's all, it's all pretty thin. You know, yeah, this, this little quirk of, of a child going around asking people's profession, it's, it's just like a gimmick masquerading as, nope, we got to get this information across. And, yeah, trying to explain the rules of this island, which... I was trying to get a grasp on. I appreciate him trying, but it doesn't come across or ring as true when people suddenly know things and then other things they don't that would be more common sense. So, yeah, this definitely for me overall fell way into like lesser tier Shyamalan territory. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And also, I like your comparisons to Gilligan's Island. What was really coming up for me is like, oh, you know, this movie might actually work better as a show where strangers end up on a mysterious <laughs> island with mysterious powers that also co-stars Ken Lung in it. And, yeah, so anyways. Uh, compar- yet, so. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, going back to the show Lost. Oh, yeah, again, Lost. A, a great, that's a great premise. And when that mm-hmm. debuted, it was huge. People pulled in. So an idea like this has a lot of room to go. And I just feel like in an hour and 48 minutes – trying to cram in a lot you're trying to explain a lot and yeah maybe that works as a horror movie without much of a payoff for the the viewer but i think if it was fleshed out more if it was longer maybe if it was like a mini series there'd just be a lot more there to like chew on and to to hold on to with erica you cringed at that i think Uh you might be in disagreement there maybe with very different writing it could be a miniseries but yeah I was going to say like (laughs) for a movie about time moving faster this felt like a freaking eternity to me yes I know sitting through it I've just like it's like, well, there's two hours of my life. I won't get back. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. And it isn't that interesting where sometimes you can watch like a, a, a show that's like eight hours long across all these episodes and you just go into like you binge it one uh-huh. after the other. But a movie like this that tries to cram in so much in such a short amount of time, if you're not connecting to it. Yeah. You're like, when is this thing over? Mm-hmm. And it's only been 
uh, just under like two hours and change. Yeah, I, I wonder how we might think differently about this movie if less of the writing was about over-explaining the things that we really don't need to know about in this movie and take that time, take those uh, script pages and devote them to just fleshing out these characters. Um, because I don't think, this. You, you might disagree, I don't think every um, strange horror phenomenon always has to be explained in a movie. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I like when it's really well thought out mm-hmm. and there's a reason for it and there's maybe there's an allegory to go along with it. But um, here, imagine if we didn't get an explanation for um, why this is happening to the people, you know, an explanation for why they can't leave, an explanation for, oh, why there isn't a cliffhanger anymore. I think that this movie could have seemed, could have been much more mm-hmm. subtle and much more uh, thoughtful in its approach had it just been a little bit more devoted to its characters. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it would have made it creepier too to not explain so much. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Erica mentioned this earlier that this is based on a graphic novel. And uh, I, I learned a little bit about the graphic novel earlier today. And it uh, turns out that, you know, the way this graphic novel ends sort of uh, appeals to what you're, what you're talking about. You mm-hmm. don't get all these explanations. Things are left a little bit more open. And, you know, just hearing it described sounds way more appealing to be honest Mm -hmm. because you read the graphic novel i started reading it i found it online um didn't have a chance to finish it but i'm already liking the graphic novel better than this film yeah like i got to see some of the final like panels of the graphic novel and it does more showing than it does telling Mm. okay so maybe bo if you're interested in a better story well i think (laughs) that the elevator pitch of this premise is inherently interesting to me so maybe reading the graphic novel will be something i look into cool all right well this is the section of the show where we're going to throw it into spoilers i think on the other side uh i'm gonna throw it to jared but uh this is an m night movie so of course uh there's a lot to be discussed uh, after the twist. So stick around. Here's the bumper. Could it really be that simple? Secret lies with Charlotte. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where are those keys, Rose? You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent breathe is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. All right, and we're back, and I'm going to throw it to our newest friend here, Jared. Jared, what's the big twist? Well, actually, the big twist was, for me, appreciating the need to immediately get a tetanus shot after you might step on something rusty. Because <laughs> holy cow, does this movie really show you the problems with uh, with rust in the body? Uh, that, uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah, the, the big twist with this movie, and again, it's trying to do so much, but when the twist happens in a third act and all you're devoting to it is maybe like, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. It's super unsatisfying. There's no buildup whatsoever. It's just this reveal of here's why this has been going on. Oh, people have discovered that this island has basically magical time properties. What if we used it to experiment on people like as a big pharmaceutical company to speed up the testing process? Mm -hmm. So that's why these people are going to this island specifically because they have conditions that this company would love to try and find, you know, the cure for and the fact that they go onto this island and time goes so much faster, they get to speed up the whole trial and clinical phase of it, you know, bim, bam, boom, and it's done. And literally that's also how like the last 15 minutes of this movie wraps up where when there is a comeuppance and it's revealed that the brother and sister actually do make their escape and they, you know, foil the plot of this uh, big pharma company. there's just really no satisfaction, you know? It's like, okay, great, it's shut down. Uh, Who cares? I just met these people, really, in the last two scenes. And all they did was make a big show of, like, what they're doing and this whole uh, utilitarian purpose that it's like, all right, well, that's a whole other idea to chew on Mm -hmm. that there's no time devoted to. Because, yeah, all right, you know, the, the, 
the needs of the many outweigh those of the few. So you sacrifice a few here to make big gains here. But yeah, I'm sorry. When you wrap that up and you're to the credits, mm-hmm. I just, I don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well put. All right, Erica. Oh my gosh. I have so much to say about <laughs> okay. the spoiler section. I've just been uh, just, just trying to not yeah. spill the beans. Yeah. Um, so one of my biggest complaints about this film is what I consider to be a kindergarten moral code. Um, like in our previous episode, we talked about how the Purge movies were kind of heavy handed with their messaging. If those are heavy handed, old is like being bludgeoned by a sledgehammer. <laughs> um, I noticed like virtuous characters are allowed to die off camera and uh, some flawed characters who learn their lessons later on. Um, they are there. They may be on camera when they die, but they have peaceful deaths like natural causes and they can they can go with some dignity. You have very flawed characters who do not learn their lesson. They get the ugly on-screen deaths, which were a highlight for me. And that's, uh, I, but I, I didn't really like this this messaging. So it's like, um, for example, like the the really flawed couple. There's the the surgeon uh, Charles and his trophy wife Crystal. Um, they're both very shallow. They're status obsessed. Um, you know, like as soon as you they introduce her, she's all about her appearance and her youth. It's like, okay, they're going to make her this and hideous, her calcium deficiency. And all her right? calcium deficiency. Let me see that menu. Yeah, yeah. They. It's like, okay, this is going to be interesting. So I knew they were going to make her hideous. I wasn't prepared for how hideous her death scene was. Mm. Like this is some straight up Junji Ito territory. <laughs> yeah. Like if you've read uh, the Enigma of the Ami- Amigara Fault. Like that, her death scene reminds me a lot of what happens to characters at the end of that graphic novel. Um, probably the best special effects sequence of the film, though, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. uh, interesting. Again, though, I have to question the science of it. Like, uh, time sped up for these people, so their healing processes are faster. But still, broken bones will take longer to heal than a cut. So I, I don't buy that her bones refused in the wrong position that quickly. Um, but still, that was like a kind of startling sequence. And I thought it was pretty effective if you don't dig into the science too much. You know what I thought about that scene? They they didn't show it. They had to crawl past that yeah. to get out. Oh, I know. I, I kind of want to see that. that. There's right. a lot of escapes that. they don't show in this movie that I really wanted to see. And that's, yeah, definitely one of them. Yeah, personally, I would have liked to see every character's death on screen. Like, does not have to be dignified. In fact, it's more realistic if it were not so dignified and sterile and, and with most of these characters. Um, so I, I would also say, like, the other really heavy-handed thing was this obvious message that we should live life to the fullest and appreciate what we have and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then later, like, the big reveal, it's really that... Um, I don't even think it's a, a twist. It's just a reveal yeah. because they, they really spoil everything ahead of time. It's like they just explain, you know, that, oh, Big Pharma is here to help us, but also to exploit us. So it's like, yeah, okay. They just kind of dump that on us at the very end. And it's not even a surprising twist like some of Shyamalan's yeah. other films. Like when the, the main couple gets to their room and there's a brochure for some pharmaceutical company in their room, that's kind of a giveaway. And then as soon as you see these other meet these other characters they all have some chronic untreatable health condition that's also clue there's some medical experimentation going on these with these poor people all right Bo, do you want to share some thoughts in spoiler territory i just wanted to talk about the end a little bit more and how clumsy that was (laughs) so i just want to talk about the sequence of events and you let me know if i got something wrong here but when they find out the solution is swimming out towards the coral. Remember that they're going through that tunnel of coral and then they get stuck. That's kind of the climactic, you know, not sure what happened to them moment. They cut away from that. That's then where we get the exposition about the pharmaceutical company over explaining everything. They're talking in a very unnatural way, (laughs) explaining exactly what they're doing. Like, Oh, this is our 73rd trial run. And it's, (laughs) and this is what we solved. And, um, and then they come to ruin it all. Uh, the, you know, uh, they they crash the party, right? Um, and then we later get, uh, we show that moment again where they got stuck. And I guess the solution is we're just going to pull harder to get unstuck. <laughs> or and, you take off the shirt that's not even your swimsuit. Right. Yeah. So Well, for a second there, I thought that's what they were doing and that still wasn't what they were doing. I mean, like, if you're going to show me that exact shot again, you know, several minutes later, 
make it more interesting than that. We're just going to pull harder, I guess. That's how they get out. And then um, they surface out of the water and they're in the safe spot, I guess now, right? Um, and then it uh, cuts to black. And then we come back from black to put them in a helicopter to bring them home. And it's like, ugh, it, it was just, it was, it felt so disjointed and improperly pieced together and just mm-hmm. not thoughtfully done. You me. almost got that right. Okay. Save for the moment of silence they gave for the lost lives of Trial 73. Mm. So. Uh, That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. That made it good. Yeah, you're right. Sure. I get that. That redeems it in some way. I, <laughs> I, I want to know what happens to these, uh, these surviving characters once they get back to their regular lives because they, yeah. you know, developmentally, they're like six, you know, some years old. It's like, and now they're in their 50s, I'm guessing. Yeah, right. biologically, yeah, they're yeah. in their 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, but in, in their in education like, level and... You in know. like 15 years, Shyamalan will make a movie and those characters will be in the very <laughs> final scene and you'll find out this has been a, a sequel to old the whole time. <laughs> That's what it will do. Oh, man. Yeah, I when that... The ending was not at all surprising. Like, sure, I didn't put all the pieces together, but when, when it revealed to us that like... This is a, a a pharmaceutical trial run. I'm like, oh yeah, that I, that makes sense. Why wouldn't mm-hmm. you use it that way? I guess if you're uh, awful. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm trying to think. I'm trying to justify it because I'm trying to be like, okay, does this does this make sense to do? Like, is this really like in the interests of mankind? And then even then, uh, you have so many people on this island that don't need to be there. Like yeah. all the kids. Why like, would you bring the kids? Yeah, they're destined exactly. to die. <laughs> Uh, on this island, you know, from you know, from the view of the resort, right? And so, like by by that alone, like put them in the play place, or exactly. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just by hey, that nature alone, parents, you're, you you're, need a quick get away from your yeah. children. You know, we'll we'll entertain them over here. Let's take you, give your give you, you know, your own little private getaway. Exactly, because uh-huh. the, the kids are going to be the biggest tip of the hat to what's going on there, and if they're wanting to try to like keep keep these test subjects within the parameters of the island. And to keep it contained, because I would imagine most scientists want to take out as many variables as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't bring children there. Yeah. There's just there's a it's lot a, of logic. It's mm-hmm. a lot of collateral damage. There's actually that joke that Gail Garcia Bernal's character makes at the beginning. He looks at the pamphlet and he's like, "Oh, looks like kids aren't welcome on the beach." You know, <laughs> that, you saying that actually just made me think like, "Oh, that's an interesting kind of other premise they could have explored mm-hmm, here. Yeah. Like separate the kids yeah. and maybe the kids or like where are our parents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, like j- just thinking about like removing variables, like you're mm-hmm. creating a stressful situation, and it totally ignores the effect that stress has. Yeah. On the body. Yeah. Like you're making a way more stressful situation than you would have if you were just like there for a few hours and suddenly you're 80. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So ultimately, even trying to sympathize with the devil is totally <laughs> unjustified in this case and just killed it even more for me. It's just, uh, yeah, I probably would not watch this again because like I don't feel like I missed anything the first time knowing the ending now. Like everything that that was a breadcrumb to the twist, mm-hmm. you remembered mm-hmm. it right away, so. right? And when they don't spend much time on it, I just don't know what more I got out of it than what the trailer gave me. That's true. So mm-hmm. aside from actually, yes, seeing the deaths and seeing a little bit more of yeah, the body horror and things like that that they can't necessarily show in mm-hmm. a you know general audience approved trailer. It's just uh, yeah. yeah, the trailer like spoiled so much though, like. Mm-hmm. They should show, I, should I wait the, on this uh, this one topic that's just kind of taboo and ew? Or I, don't know. I mean, it happened in the movie. You watched yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. So the the speed pregnancy thing. Oh and yeah. And birth. Yeah, yeah. So I feel yeah. like like this may get me yeeted off this show. But it's like if they're gonna go there and they're gonna talk about how this island affects reproduct you know reproductive systems. I thought of like all these other issues that go with that, like all of the the female characters who are of the age to menstruate would oh, be yeah. menstruating almost constantly oh, yeah. and explosively. Oh yeah, every thirty I mean, seconds. Yeah, <laughs> right. Wow, I didn't think about <laughs> that. I, yeah, You're totally right. I mean, they, they'd have to they'd be having their periods like about thirteen times every half hour. If a half an hour is like a year of your life or something like that. So I mean, and then imagine the PMS mood swings with that. Yeah, and they and they. <laughs> 
they go to great lengths to explain like, oh, this is why our our hair doesn't go gray. You yeah, know, like our, our nails and things like that because they're for, dead cells. For every one of those explanations, there's also an oversight. Yeah, but also mm. with the, the hair and nail thing, the the cells that produce hair and nails are alive, so people should be growing out ZZ Top beards in no time. Um, yeah, and like crazy long fingernails, but there's there's no hair or nail growth in this film. They would have figured it out so much faster. Yeah, that was <laughs> a lot of inconsistencies. And then again, so there, it's like, well, it's more about the ideas, but again, these ideas just aren't explored. It just seems from like one setup to the next, like what's the next fun thing we can show with rapid aging? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's gained by, yeah, this inconsistency. Uh, and why? So I, the rapper, okay, mid-sized sedan, which is like worst rapper name up. ever. How did we get I mean, here? Come on, full size, like yeah, come on. Just he, he looks way cooler than that name too. Yeah. I know, and but it's like he gets to that beach, uh, you know, with that that other lady who is, I guess, the one who dies first. But he gets there before the other characters do, and he does not look older at all. And he should be like fifty years older, mm, or something. right? Because mm-hmm. it was like maybe at. Dawn, just yes. before dawn. Yeah, yeah. it's the crack of dawn, so right. he's been and, there much longer. Yeah, so I mean, I know they make this this kind of black don't crack joke, you know, or, or one of the characters says, oh, I yep. wish they, they yep. wish they were black now kind of thing, but it, it was like, I still don't buy that he is not visibly aged yeah. in the time he was there. Even, even the time passage is totally inconsistent. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. Yep. All right. Any other closing thoughts before we wrap this episode? Uh, I guess I would just be kind of curious where Shyamalan ranks for all of you and like what movies of his kind of stick out. Uh, the three early ones you mentioned, um, I'm actually also a fan of The Village. I saw nice. that in the theater <laughs> when I was a kid. And um, the the twist of that movie, a lot of people laugh at it. Mm. Stefan, I think, might be one of those. Um Maybe it was just because I was young and impressionable. I found that to be a very interesting twist that I didn't see coming. And I've thought back to that movie a lot over the years. Um, I was actually kind of hopeful for this movie because of how, you know, okay to good Split was for me. Yeah. Um, But for every kind of movie like Split, there's also uh, another contemporary movie that maybe isn't as good. Mm. Um, Like, I, I, I haven't seen all of his more recent movies I was kind of hoping this would be kind of a, a resurgence sure. of that. Well, uh, yeah, he, I was going to say he was building up like with the visit and split and things like yeah, that. Yeah, so. I, I liked the visit quite a lot. Yeah, and I thought split was pretty decent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this backdoor sequel setting up kind of this amazing trilogy that got everybody excited. Mm-hmm. I would give anything for that experience at the end of a theater again because mm-hmm. no clue that was coming. But mm-hmm. oh, and I saw Unbreakable like maybe in twenty. 20- 16 for the first time mm-hmm. wow. and that movie originally came out in 2000 uh yeah say. 2000 like that. Yes. yeah and that movie definitely holds up i remember mm-hmm. being just very taken with that movie and yeah. um being surprised and just interested and feeling like i've never seen a movie like this yeah. before i so. i also saw that one even more recent than that for the first time and i agree i think it holds up um I don't like love the sixth sense as much as everyone else does. I don't hate it or anything, but it's sure. just not after all the memes and stuff. And then you finally see it like 15 years after it came yeah. out. Uh, it just, you're like, okay. That's like, the same effect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Signs is one of the only movies that ever like gave me nightmares yeah. based on when it came really? out. Cause there's the, like the, the like footage from Mexico. Oh, I know. Aliens walk and in. it's so simple, but so effective. Yeah creeped me out i had nightmares about that because i was like 11 or 12 when that came out maybe um, do you disagree or are you trying I, to remember i hate signs oh wow I, yeah I, okay. like when i saw it in the theater i was so excited to see it because i love the sixth sense and mm-hmm. uh when i saw it it's like okay i want to punch this guy in the throat <laughs> <laughs> i was just so mad at it like just everything about it annoyed me so badly okay. but yeah. um Although now that now that we've seen old, maybe old annoys me more. I haven't seen Signs in a while, so yeah, hard to rank that. I don't. Sure. I don't think about the rest of Signs. It's just an anecdote I have about one of the only movies that ever gave me nightmares. Yeah. Uh, and Split. I love Split. Yeah. I think Split's a great movie, personally. Yeah, we saw that together. We did. Yeah. I also did like The Village, and a lot of people did, or at least critics did, were like not really thrilled with that. But I, I thought it was a cool twist. It had a lot. Of, I mean, there. are very, very good sequences in that. Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, I think of like, uh, I think it's like the, the the marriage scene and things like that and the first sighting of like one of the beasts. There's just, again, he he knows what to do with the camera. And yeah, the uh, throughout college, my friends and I definitely made fun of like the twist with uh, signs as well. But 
there's a lot of like building a scene like shot by shot and building that tension that he can knows how to ratchet up sometimes and even just holding a shot a found footage shot of this birthday party that's being shown on the moon on the news and just seeing like this alien just like creep out and walk across like a yard that yeah just makes an audience you're, you're staring at it you're expecting it and then it happens but you're still scared so that's why I still root for M. Night Shyamalan each and every time. Certainly is wildly inconsistent at this point. You know, here we are uh, three decades into his uh, career, but I'll always give him a shot. Well, yeah, maybe we can say the bar now is low so that <laughs> you can just step over it next step time. Over yeah. it, he and definitely knows how to do it. We'll do this song and dance yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it there for this discussion on M. Night Shyamalan's Old. We'll be back in about a month for a discussion with two new hosts, and we'll be talking about the reboot of Candyman. Oh, nice. I'm so jealous. Nice. <laughs> That's a horror movie I've only uh, well, like yeah. watched within the last three years for the first time. I still haven't seen it. I'll probably be in Russia anyway, but oh, I am so excited to see that reboot, though. Cool. Yeah. All right. Until then, everyone, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding. <laughs>